Eleven Dubcast. Welcome to the Eleven Dubcast. We are we're back. It's 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 time to get serious. It's time to get really serious. I'm Johnny Ginner. I'm Michael Citro, and we're back, baby. We're back, and we're we're going to talk to you guys about uh, obviously the the biggest topic of the day, which of course is the Sugar Bowl, and there's a lot that goes into that because holy crap, it's 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 right around the corner, guys. It's like it's tomorrow. Like it's it's I mean tomorrow as of you listening to this. Omg. Yeah, OMG! It's like it's gonna happen. Um, <laughs> so if you have been on pins and needles for the past several weeks, like we are, then most assuredly uh, you will want to know as much information as you can get. So we we have a really packed dubcast this week. Um, but let's talk about basketball. No. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's spend thirty seconds talking about basketball. Oh. Uh, Ohio State basketball, um, not good. So uh, lost to Iowa at home today. So that's cool. No. Uh, what? Cool. Yeah, first first question, Michael. This is the only question. What what do you think is the biggest problem right now? It's just depressing. I mean, like, to cheer myself up, I had to go watch True Detective, which is a very <laughs> depressing show. But it was still better yes. than watching Playground Ball today, uh, yeah. where it's like, oh, I'm Shannon Scott. I'm just going to chuck it up here within three seconds of the shot clock starting. Uh, right. Or give the ball to D'Angelo Russell and just everybody else just kind of mill around and let him chuck it up. Or uh, let's go back and play defense. Uh, well, four of us will play defense while Amir Williams just kind of stands around with his thumb up his ass and does nothing, and they get dunks. Um, yeah, it, it's it's it's, it's a young team that's playing young, and it's right. what's crazy is that I kept I kept thinking all this preseason that this whole zone thing was going to be. You know, this is what Thad wants to do on defense, but he's going to rope it up. At some point, we're going to bust out this just tight man-to-man in a big moment in a big game. And he didn't do it until, like, the last minute of today's game, and it actually went pretty well. Um, right. And, you know, I mean, he wants to But ultimately did not have an impact on the outcome Right, of the game. right. I think if he does that a little earlier, maybe Iowa has to adjust to it a little bit, and, and maybe Ohio State right. claws its way back, but... The bottom line today is just too many open shots for Iowa, and we didn't slow them down hardly at all, especially in the first half. And um, at the other end, Ohio State shot reasonably well in the first half and not very well at all in the second half. And they don't seem to have an offensive identity, and it's the conference season. So if you don't have an offensive identity by the conference season, uh, you know, you're in trouble. I mean, you can't just have an offensive identity of, we're just somebody's going to get points because we're playing a crappy team. Now you're in Big Ten play, and it's going to be tough every single night. So you have to have that identity, and and I don't think this team has it. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's 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 definitely a work in progress. One of the thing I agree with all that, by the way. And, and one of the things that I wanted to reiterate that I said on Twitter is it's kind of like, especially with Amir Williams, you know, like this guy's a senior, and. It, it's kind of like he's the big guy on the playground who's never played basketball before, and you're just like, hey, Amir, get over here. Play basketball. And you, you kind of put him underneath the rim, and he just doesn't really know any of the rules yet, so he just kind of, <laughs> like, walks around a little bit, and he, like, tries to bump into kids, mm-hmm. but, like, he doesn't really do anything, and he doesn't know what to do with his hands. And it's just dead space is, is, is really what you're looking at with, with the team a lot of the time. There's a lot of standing around. There's a lot of just, like, confusion and... It's bad. So hopefully it will get better. Uh, Iowa, I mean, to be fair, Iowa's not. They're, good, the, they're, they're a team capable of getting into the tournament and, and doing yes. okay. Yes, they're a good team. However, 
I want to the reason why I wanted to say that is because I also think that Ohio State fans need to temper their expectations a little bit of this team. Uh, this team will probably get in the tournament. I expect them to get in the tournament um, because I think they're going to pick it up. But which I also tournament? Think, well, right. <laughs> I think they'll get in the NCAA tournament. I think they'll turn it around. I think there's too much actual raw talent on the team for them not to. But, and this is a big but, uh, that's that's the accomplishment, right? Like, that's the goal. And I, I think that's where people need to set their expectations. So, um Let's stop talking about basketball. Yeah. I'm sorry I brought the subject up. Press me, Johnny. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. Uh, so we've got the we got the Sugar Bowl coming up again. I want to hit real briefly John Harbaugh or John Harbaugh Jim Harbaugh. Same as <laughs> I'm sorry, same mistake the Free Press made. Detroit Free Press. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim Harbaugh uh, has been hired as the coach of uh, Michigan football, um, and we've talked about this a lot. It's obviously a great hire. He's a, a weird dude, and you can just tell that from watching him talk. He's just an, an odd duck, and it'll be really interesting to see if Michigan administrators can deal with that or at least, like, suck it up enough to deal with You know what I mean? Like, yep. to pretend that they're dealing with it because he's good, and he's going to make Michigan a lot better than what they've been. But it'll be interesting to see, I think, how the alumni and the boosters kind of deal with that guy because he can be a prickly pear sometimes, so... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. What, what's your take on that real quick? Well, first of all, I'm disappointed that no one at the press conference introducing him today asked him, what's your deal? <laughs> uh, like he, he, <laughs> hey. but, but, you know, I think, first of all, immediately it's going to pay dividends for Michigan in that they're going to sell tickets right away. Uh, yes. they, there's not going to be these huge swaths of empty seats um, in the short term. And right. if the team starts to play better, under him, that will continue, and they'll continue to not have a problem with this, with the attendance and, and the, the, the tickets not selling. So I think right away they've won and, and made some of that money back right off the bat. Um, this hire is interesting, and it, it will tell us if the problems at Michigan are systemic or if it's just been a series of bad hires because yes. um, we saw Rich Rod go to Arizona and have success. Uh, we don't yet know what Brady Hoke's going to do next, but if he goes off and has success somewhere else, uh, you might have to throw up the caution flag there and, and say, let's wait and see what Harbaugh does, uh, because it could be a systemic problem at Michigan in, uh, in much the same way that it seems to be one in Nebraska. That Nebraska cannot get over that certain hump, and Michigan may be in that same mode. Um, uh, certainly this is about the best hire that they could make, uh, I don't think that there's anyone out there that would have satisfied their uh, constituencies more. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. I mean, he's a, he's a proven uh, guy in college football that has done well, and he's recruited well. And I think uh, right off the bat, the first thing that's going to benefit, or the first people that are going to benefit from it is the, the quarterbacks at Michigan. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> like, I mean – Devin Garner, I mean, he's he's not going to be there. I think this is his last year, right? Um, yeah, he gone. Yeah, but and I feel, man, you got to feel bad for that dude because <laughs> there's a guy who has dealt with like the worst crap that college football has had to offer. It's it's Devin Gardner, and it's really kind of unfortunate that he doesn't get to kind of um, get the fruits of that. So anyway, that that'll be interesting to see how that that shakes itself out and, you know, the kind of assistant hires that he makes, you know, a lot of the, the thing with his contract is he said that he wanted to defer a lot of things so he could get that, you know, that great staff that 
seems to be kind of a prerequisite for a good program these days. Um, I really want to see who he ends up trying to nab because that will be, I think, ultimately what determines how good Michigan is in the future. I'd like him um, to hire Kirby Smart today. <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. And, and let's talk about that a little bit. <laughs> Kirby Smart, by the way, Kirby Smart is another dude who I'm, like, shocked has not been, you know, one of the, those guys who has pieced out uh, for a head coaching job. But I don't know, maybe he's considered to be, like, the heir apparent to Saban. I don't know. But we've got the we've got the Sugar Bowl coming up. We, it, really? Yeah, believe it or not, it, it's it's about to happen. So how are you feeling? I, I know you're nervous. I know you're a little jittery. But uh, well, I, I don't know. I don't want to ask you how you feel. That's, that's too generic of a question. Let me ask you this. Which player on Ohio State's team do you expect to have a really big game, offense or defense? Doesn't matter. I think we'll see Michael Bennett shine on uh, on Thursday night. I think Michael, nice. Michael Bennett's going to have a good game because he is, first of all, he's, his senior leadership has really taken over the last several games. I think he's also uh, just an extraordinary player. I think that um, Alabama will think they can block him like any other other defensive tackle that they face, and that's just not true. And lastly, I think he's really the guy carrying the Costa Cara George torch, and he's going to continue to wear that jersey, number 53, in honor of his fallen teammates. So I think there's a lot of factors. Uh, I think he doesn't want to be done playing for Ohio State yet. I think he wants another game, and the only way he gets that is if he balls out. And I, I think Michael Bennett will ball out on Thursday night. Yeah, I think that's a really good choice. I'm actually going to go with Darren Lee. I think Darren Lee is going to be a huge factor in this game. Uh, I don't think anybody knows who he is. And I, you know, I assume, you know, if they look at tape of Ohio State, Alabama will know who he is, but they may not pay him the special attention that I think he might deserve. The linebacking core has gotten better by leaps and bounds this year. Like it is really turning into a really ridiculous group and they're really young. They are incredibly young. And I think they might develop into the best unit on the team next year. So I think I think Darren Lee's going to have an excellent game, and really, I mean, we've we've talked about this. I think that's where the game's won. I, I think Ohio State, if they are going to win the game, they are going to have to have an excellent defensive game. I mean, the offense is going to do its thing, and, and I'm sure they'll put up a decent amount of points. But the defense really is going to a obviously have to you know contain Amare, like that's that's the biggest thing. But if they can stop Alabama's run game without devoting too much attention up front, like without just like completely devoting the linebackers to doing that, then I think they have a much better chance of winning this game than they would otherwise. And I think a lot of that depends on the linebackers being good in coverage and then recognizing runs and stuff when they're disguised. So yeah, I don't, I'm really, I'm kind of excited to see how it shakes out. I mean, let me put it this way. Are you, are you like scared nervous or are you like excited nervous? A little bit of both really. It's kind of like, it, it's not fair to the fan to have to wait this long for such a big game, you know, after the season sure. ends, it's like, you know, I just want to get on with it. You know, I'm, 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 I'm anxious. I'm excited. I mean, I'm all of that. And it's, you know, am I nervous? Yeah. I mean, I, and uh, you know, the part of me thinks, you know, the moment Braxton Miller got hurt, I should never have even expected us to be in this position. So I know it's, yeah. it's house money, but part of me, I was also saying, I just want everybody to shut up about us not deserving to be there. You know, that should be TCU or Baylor. And, you know, I, I, I think I would be okay with a loss if it's a close loss so that we could say at least, you know, we showed we belonged and we showed that the Big Ten is, is you know, relevant. 
but if we get blown out, everybody's going to see they shouldn't have been there to begin with. That uh, that's that's going to really stick in my craw the whole off season. And and so well, I gotta tell you something. I get down to it, you know. I gotta tell you something, dude. Ohio State cannot get blown out in this game, and I don't mean that like oh I'm going to be super mad. <clears throat> that getting blown out in this game after Ohio State beat the living crap out of Wisconsin in the Big Ten Championship game would have, I think, horrible repercussions for the rest of the Big Ten. Yeah. If you want to talk about this playoff thing, I mean, look, we got into the playoff because we beat Wisconsin the way we did. Mm-hmm. Like, and there, and there still is that assumption, like, well, the rest of the Big Ten may suck, but hey, you know, Ohio State can still carry that torch a little bit, and that's a legitimate team. If Ohio State gets blown out in this game or isn't competitive, um, that basically ruins the Big Ten's chances in any kind of close situation. If there are teams, I mean, if, if there's a team from the Big 12 that has the same record as Ohio State going forward and Ohio State gets blown out in this game, that Big Ten team does not get in the playoff. Like, that's it. It's over. I agree. So, and, yeah. So And, and especially if it's us. Show especially if it's Ohio State next year. Absolutely. And, and that's that, Ohio State has to show up for that because otherwise the Big Ten is completely screwed. And it's, yeah, it, it, there's a lot of pressure there. <clears throat> I'm sure that the Ohio State players aren't really thinking about it that way, and, and they shouldn't, but it, that those are the stakes. And, and they are important because they do have impact, they do have an impact on the future. And that's, you know, that's a big deal. Uh, but I, for us more, I just want to beat the pants off Nick Saban and, of course, Lane Kiffin because he's a turd. And, you know, it'll be nice to get that first bowl win in what seems like forever. So that that's probably the more the more pressing concern for most Ohio State players, I'm sure. Yeah, and keeping the dream alive of a national championship, the chase as they call it. That's right. So and that's the thing, like if we win this game, it, it ain't over. Nope, we we got a lot more to do. And at least we won't but, have to wait 3 weeks the next time if we win this game. No kidding. Right. So that should be and that's that's the other part of this dynamic that should be really interesting. So Watch the game. We, we've got a lot of analysis coming up. We've got Matt Finkus. We've got uh, two great writers. Uh, we got Stuart Mandel and Andy Staples uh, coming in talking with us about it. So let's let's get into it. All right, joining us this week, as he does every week, is our good friend Matt Finkus for Finkus on Football. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing great as always, fellas. Good. That's that's very good to hear, especially since we're so close to the the game going on. I. We've talked about this past couple of weeks, but I, I just want to touch it on it again because we just got uh, confirmation today. You know, Jim Harbaugh had his his big press conference, and then he was out there at halftime at the Michigan game. Um, he is now officially the head coach of the University of Michigan. Um, his contract's a little different than what we thought it was going to be, and I guess that's the big thing that I wanted to ask you about. Were you surprised that they bumped it down as much as they did? It looks like it's about five million uh, for about thirty-five million total, seven years. Well, I mean. Here's the the thing about college football con- coaches' contracts that's so different than the NFL contracts. Yeah, I mean, it, it might be $5 million on paper, uh, but if, if you get into the details of that contract and corporate jet time and, you know, time, uh, you know cars and, you know, all, all the perks that come <laughs> right. with that, uh, the Nike money or whoever, or I think Michigan's Adidas, Adidas money that comes Adidas, to them, yeah. you know, the – paying for the coaches show for the radio for the tv all that money that adds up it's probably going to end up being closer to the to the number of 48 million that we originally heard matt what do you think about this uh i mean obviously you, th- you think this is a big grand slam uh home run for michigan but what happens if if 
it is an unsuccessful uh, marriage between Jim Harbaugh and the University of Michigan? You know, um, that, that's an interesting question. I, I don't think that it will be, though. I don't think that, that the Michigan um, regents and, uh, and the guys up there will let it be. I, I think they're going to give Jim Harbaugh free reign to bring that program back. They, they have to. Uh, I mean, they're in a desperate situation right now. And they have to rely on Jim Harbaugh to be able to bring them back. And uh, it's not like Jim Harbaugh is a guy who's come in with a bad reputation. I mean, you know, you get aside the reputation of, you know, he's hard to work with. That to me isn't a bad reputation. I mean, every executive, every, every successful person, you know, I mean, you hear the, if you've ever read the book about Steve Jobs and heard kind of the horror stories of the people that worked for him of how demanding he was of people, you know, that's how successful and driven people are. They're hard to work for. They demand a lot, and they want a lot from you. So Jim Harbaugh, in that respect, isn't any different. And so I don't expect it to be a big issue with him. Um, I, but I do expect I, I expect it to be a home run. I, I really do. I think that uh, the success that he's going to have, depending on the transition and the players that are there, I think is going to be re- relatively quick. I think when you t- when you look at the um, you know the style that Brady Hook wanted to play a pro-style kind of power offense and, a, and, a, and an attacking defense. I mean, that's what Jim Harbaugh wanted. So there are probably a lot of those players there. I think he'll bring in a lot of player development coaches uh, to, to get that job done and to get these guys coached the way they, that he wants them to, to, to play. And it's going to be a very tough, hard-nosed style, and, and that's what he's going to bring to the table. And it's going to be uh, you know, Michigan of, of the 1970s and 80s. I mean, for lack of a better better term, that's what you're going to get with Jim Harbaugh. I mean, that's what you, you got at Stanford. That's what you got for, to a lesser degree at San Francisco with the 49ers. I mean, they ran the ball very well, played really, really good defense, had an excellent defensive line and linebackers, had a great running back in Frank Gore, and probably one of the best offensive lines in, in pro football. So he's going to build that again at Michigan. And I think he's going to be very successful doing it, and I think that they're going to give him free reign to do what he needs to do because they don't have another option. They can't try to right. rein Jim Harbaugh in and, and have a, uh, a coach that they're going to control. But they, just, they don't have that option right now because they are in such dire straits. Well, speaking of, let's let's move on a little bit. I mean, I, I first of all, I completely agree with all of that. I, I think that to be successful, Michigan is going to pretty much just have to let him do what he wants. Uh, but let's talk about a team that is not in such dire straits, and that would be the Ohio State Buckeyes. We've got a pretty big game coming up. Um, you, you know, <laughs> I feel that. like it's yeah, you know, talking about that. <laughs> uh, you may have heard about it on the internet, um, but so what is your feeling on this? Because I, you know. I've said this a little earlier. I've been going back and forth basically all month about how I feel about this game, and I still don't know that I have a solid read on it. Um, how are you feeling right now? I mean, where do yeah, you think I, the team's at? I feel at? pretty good. I, th- I think the team is going to – I guess it's, it's pretty self-explanatory to say that they're going to have to play well to win. But, but in saying that, I mean that uh, this isn't a game that is out of their league. This isn't Notre Dame coming in to play Alabama two years ago. This is right. a, a, a beatable Notre Dame, or a be, excuse me, a beatable Alabama team. And this is an Ohio State team where we really still don't know what their ceiling is. I think that we saw, you know, how good they can be against Wisconsin. We've seen how good they can be against Michigan State, which is probably the the closest uh, team that we've that they've seen to Alabama. So there's a lot of positives to take away. There's a lot of good matchups. 
the running game, if Ohio State can establish that. The, the deep threat uh, has been something that has really hurt Alabama this, this year. I think that the matchups are good for Ohio State. You can point to, to certain things. Now, are you going to be able to utilize those matchups and get to them? That, that's the big question. Is Kirby Smart and Nick Saban going to allow you to go at their weakness? And if Ohio State can do that, they can be successful and they can win this football game. If Ohio State can't get to Alabama's weakness, then it's going to be problems. If, if Cardell Jones uh, isn't able to get the time to, to throw the ball deep, if that D-line is able to, to establish a lot of pressure, that's going to be a problem. If their offensive line can't protect, if they can't establish a, a running game, it's going to be an issue. So Ohio State is going to have to execute. But if they do execute, there are weaknesses in that Alabama defense that they can exploit. Now, the offense of Alabama has taken on a new life under Lane Kiffin, which is – I feel up in my mouth a little bit there because I hate Lane Kiffin. It was such a bad <laughs> But, <clears throat> excuse me, he really has uh, done a lot to make this Alabama program offensively uh, much, much better. I mean, you look at the at the development of Blake Sims at, at quarterback from the first game of the season when I watched him to now, it's night and day. I mean, it's, it's a JT Barrett-like transformation. I mean, it really is. I mean, and the guy's a senior. He's been around, but he is playing as well as any quarterback in the country, and, and he started out uh, as an unknown, never made a start, and has really turned the tables and, and, and done very very well. He's a running threat, uh, something Ohio State hasn't seen a lot of is that running threat quarterback, uh, so, so that's going to be a test for him. How do you contain Armani Cooper? Another test for him. How do you contain a, a running back like Yelton? So, so there are a lot of threats and a lot of options that Ohio State is going to have to contend with. And you'd never want to get into a scoring battle with Alabama. And, and, and that, I think, is, is something that Ohio State is going to have to be very careful of. They, they really need to play within themselves and, and play within the game plan. You know, you look at the game plan that they took into Wisconsin, very simplistic offensively, you know, going in and, and, and doing what they do defensively, taking away the run and making uh, Wisconsin beat them, throwing the football. And if they're able to do that, if they're able to take away – uh, Armani Cooper and say, you know, we're going to put two guys on him and take him away. And then we're going to take our chances uh, trying to stop uh, TJ Yeldon running the football with our front seven, which is really good and, and, and roll the dice and see where we're going to, 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 to come out on it. I think that Ohio state and, and what they're going to do uh, offensively, they're going to, to attack the weakness of Alabama defensively. They're going to try to take away Armani Cooper, and make someone else beat them. Now if someone else beats them and Alabama has players that can beat them. Then, then so be it. But, but I don't think that they're going to let Alabama come in and dictate offensively them being able to run the football and let Armani Cooper live in single coverage and go make big, big plays. If they do that, I think it'll be a very close game. But I do think Ohio State has, and I know this is odd to say, but I think Ohio State is more talented across the board, especially at the skill positions than Alabama is. And, and that's Urban Meyer recruiting in the last two or three years. I think that if you line up man for man with the skill players on the outside and, you know, even Hireman and, and those guys that matching up against the, uh, the linebackers of Alabama and, and you go on the other side of the football, the, the athleticism of our linebackers and safety players, I, I like our matchups there. And they're not as seasoned, but physically, I think they match up very well. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate that analysis, and, and that makes me that does calm me down. Uh, I no longer have the shakes, so I'm very happy about that. Um, so let's move on to our, our, our thing that we we really like that 
we, we can have you to participate in this. This is our, our weekly feature, this Ask Us Anything, uh, where listeners can ask us literally anything. Sounds um, good. And so, Michael, can you tell uh, our fine listeners how they can ask us anything? Yeah, you can hit us up on the Twitters. Uh, you can you can tweet to us at, at 11dubcast, spell it all out. There's no numbers in there. Uh, or you can hit Johnny up or me on Twitter as well. Either Johnny11W or 11W underscore Michael will get you there. Or you can email us, and uh, we can be reached at dubcast at 11warriors.com. Sweet. So we have some questions this week, do we not? We do. Uh, we have a leftover Excellent. from last week. I think it came in a little late, like maybe after we recorded. Uh, Silly on uh, Twitter wants to know, uh, is Die Hard the best Christmas movie ever? <laughs> That's the question. Yes. I'm going to say yes. Mm, no, 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 no. Best Christmas movie ever is uh, Christmas Vacation. Okay, well that's that's a fine one too. That is that is usually that is usually like one B I think for a lot of people. Um, but I still think Die Hard's got to be pretty high up there. I love Die Hard so very much. That's that's a really good one. Not on there, probably not in either years. The Muppet Christmas Carol, but I think that should also be in consideration as well. That's my personal. No, I, think, I, I mean, if I've got to rank my Christmas movies, it goes uh, Christmas Vacation one, uh, okay. Buddy the Elf two. Then maybe you get into kind of the diehards and some of those other ones. But, but I mean, one and two have to be Christmas Vacation and Bud of the Elf. I mean, you have a million different lines that you can quote from me. First of all, like I said before, there's no, there's, there's no one taking Christmas Vacation off the top spot. I mean, there's no other movie that can be quoted as much as Christmas Vacation. I didn't see Cousin Eddie in Die Hard. So, so for me, that's a dead issue. If you got Cousin Eddie in the movie... That's a winner for me. And when he's pumping I would his really like septic to see tank out elf. into the – I mean, come on. That's, that, that, it's, it's open and closed right there. I would really like to see an elf diehard like, crossover. Like that should be their next sequel like with Will <laughs> Ferrell and Bruce Willis just shooting dudes. And, Hi, Bruce. Just shoot. That'd be <laughs> I, awesome. I can see that happening. That, that, that would bring it up. But, yeah, for me, Christmas Vacation, <laughs> Buddy the Elf number two, then, maybe, then it's really just kind of a hodgepodge after that. Oh, I'm going to put Gremlins in my top five. Everybody <laughs> forgets that's a Christmas movie, but I liked Gremlins. Yeah, that's not bad. All right, so uh, speaking of movies, uh, we got uh, an email here from John, and uh, John doesn't want us to use his last name, so he must be hiding from the law. Nice. And, uh, yeah, he wants to know what the uh, – he, he weighed in on his, uh, his movie sequels from last week. Uh, he says that we didn't mention The Road Warrior – as a good sequel to uh, Mad Max, uh, Rambo, Al- uh, Terminator 2, Aliens, to- uh, Toy Story 2, and that kind of thing. He'd, and I also, he also mentioned Christmas Vacation as a, a good sequel. Uh, but John's question was, what are the best and worst Buckeye-themed Christmas presents? Oh, man. Mm. There's a lot of them. Oh, man, I think the best Buckeye-themed Christmas present is probably like an autographed, personalized something. I mean, you, you really yeah. can't get better than that. If you can get, you know... Something autographed and, and, and given to, to to a fan. That's probably the best thing. Um, my worst Buckeye themed gift gift present. You know, any mechanical object that plays the fight song as you're trying to open a beverage for me. <laughs> just kind of. I don't need the fight song played because you know the fight song is kind of sacred. You play that when you're winning a football game. To me, when you when you play it like you're winning when you're opening a beer. I mean, come on, guys. Let's, let's, Let's grow up a little. It kind of cheapens the experience a little bit. Yeah, it does. <laughs> I, I, I don't need someone singing a fight song when they open a beer. 
<laughs> that's a that is a great answer. I really like that answer a lot because like you know somebody drinks a beer on the toilet and it goes dun, 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 like yeah come on it does cheapen it a little bit. Yeah. I I completely agree with that. I think that's a very good one. Um, I don't know. People just put the logo on everything. Like I don't need. I mean, this is this is gonna make my mom real sad because she got me this for Christmas. <laughs> but I don't really need Ohio State themed like you know paper towels. Like I don't know that that's really a necessity <laughs> in my life. Like I appreciate it. I'm not saying I'm not you know I'm not gonna use those towels. But like you know if if our cat barfs on the floor and I've got Ohio State towels left and that's it. Like I'm gonna feel bad about that. Yeah, that's I really not good. Need they don't want to wipe things yeah. up with Ohio State products. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So yeah. I, I agree with you, though, on the autograph thing. I, I've got um, some stuff autographed by, you know, uh, Jim Trestle, and I'm like, man, it, it's just a little program, but I, I think it's awesome. Like, I love that kind of stuff, so that's really cool. Yeah, autograph gifts are good. I think um, tickets are always welcome uh, yeah. as, as a Christmas that's present. True. Tickets to a game, um, especially to a bowl game, that'd be good. Yeah, one of oh, my yeah. worst, uh, I guess the worst, Buckeye themed presents. I've seen these. I've never had one, but I've seen these in in the the merchandise stores there on Lane Avenue and and High Street. Uh, like Buckeye, like they're just like these ugly paperweight things that have no function other. I mean, does anybody even use paperweights anymore? No. <laughs> yeah. It's Unless just, you like the only, like you take a paperweight and then put it directly on your keyboard and you're like, all right. Well, I mean, do, yeah. Does anyone use paper present. anymore? I mean, I don't know if there's yeah. paper out there. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so that's it from John, uh, who who said that his favorite sequel is uh, Star Trek Two. By the way, oh, oh, what a nerd! <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we got a question here from Mark Roberts. Uh, this is going to be a good one for Matt. Mark wants to know. He's really interested in a discussion of what goes on at halftime. In the locker rooms, we're watching the bands get in a soda. What is the team doing? He knows that they're talking with coaches, but how does it work? Is it one big meeting? Do they break into units? Is there food and rehydration going on? Can you get a fresh jersey if you're muddy? Uh, that kind of thing. Matt, tell us what it's like in the locker room at halftime. Okay, well, from my, and it's very different from the NFL to college, by the way, because your NFL halftime is about a third of the time – in the locker room that it is for, for college and, and college, you get a 20 minute halftime. It's like having a vacation. I mean, you go in, you relax. The first thing you do, or first thing I would always do is you come in, switch shirts, switch socks. I mean, you get a new undershirt, get new socks because you're all sweaty. You didn't want to, you don't want all that wet stuff on you. So you change out the shirts and socks, normally use the bathroom, kind of hang out. Cause now all the coaches are, are trying to t- get together and decide what they're going to yell at you about. So while they're doing that, you get your shirt and your socks changed and you go to the bathroom, you know, pick up a Gatorade, get back down. Then you normally start as a, uh, you normally start in your, in your position section. So your position coach will come out, kind of give you the, the, the what went right, what went wrong, game plan, what we're going to do differently in the, in the half, any adjustments that you're going to make. Then you come together as a uh, larger unit, offense and defense, the coordinator gives you a little pep talk and, and kind of goes into more of what we're going to explain to do. Yells at some more people if things are going bad. Then the head coach, you know, then you kind of come all together as a team. The head coach yells at you if, you're, if things are going bad and, or yells at you if they're going good too and tells you to keep, keep going and don't let up. And then you go out and you play some more football. <laughs> that sounds, that sounds like a, you know, it sounds like a nice kind of break from the action. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I I think it's probably really relaxing for a lot of football players. To like, not relaxing, but it's a good like mental it's break. It's a nice little break. You from... can get break in. You can kind of like I said, change your stuff. Now, what what's different is that when I first got in the NFL, my first game, I'd get into the locker room, I take off my pads, and, and get ready to change my shirt and socks. And people look at me like, "Hey, buddy, 
uh, we're going back out there in like three minutes, and we still have to do adjustments <laughs> and everything else because in NFL halftime, you're in the locker room for like six minutes total. And I'm like, oh, right. really? We, we don't get to like sit down and relax? And they're like, no, 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 no. We're, we're, we're back out here real soon. So it is a little shock to the system when you have to uh, change gears. Well, see, that's why I'm really glad we have you on here answering this stuff, because, like, I would have been like, well, when I was in high school and playing soccer, uh, we just kind of, like, you know, retape our boat, you know, and, you know, our boat shoes and make sure our knee pads are all, our ankle. I don't even know what the hell they call them anymore. God, I haven't played soccer in a while. You got to make sure our shorts are get some are, orange slices and get back out there. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah, get some orange slices. How, you know, have a have a. Have a have a yoo-hoo and get back out there and play. Do you get do you get <laughs> snacks at halftime? You can if you want snacks. I mean, they have things nice. for you: bananas and you know, normally some food and or, you know, power bars or whatever you need. You can get some of that stuff. Yeah. Cool. No expenses expired. Come on. <laughs> John wants to also know when you find something in the fridge that is several days old, you can't be sure how old it is, but it looks decent. Are you a why not? I'm eating this guy, or do you pitch it in the name of food and stomach safety? You know, oh, no, we no, live no. I throw out everything society. in my house. Yeah, everything in my house, if it's been there more than a day, it goes. Really? Yes. I don't huh. trust anything. You <laughs> know what? We, I feel like we live in a modern society with modern conveniences, and if I can't trust our fridge to, like, keep something safe for me to eat, then why don't we just live in caves? Like, I don't, like, I don't <laughs> care anymore. Like, I'm, I'm eating it. If it's there, I'm eating. I don't give a crap. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm, I'm with Matt. I, I, like, err on the side of caution when it's uh, – you know, if you've ever had food poisoning before, you know that you never, ever, ever want to get it again, and yeah, well, uh, so you don't risk it. You go, okay, this chicken's been in here a few days, and I'm not sure about it. It's going. Yeah, I mean, I'm to the point where I normally don't even put leftovers in my refrigerator. If I'm not going to eat it, like, later that evening, it goes directly in the trash. I think, honestly, my willingness to eat leftovers is, is directly proportional to, like, how much I like it. Like, if it's lasagna, <laughs> I don't care how long it's been in the fridge. Like, as long as it's not literally moving, I'm going to eat it. Like, I really, really like that. But, you know, if it's something that I'm not all high on, like, I'll, I'll pitch it. But, yeah, I don't know. We live in the we live in the future, damn it. Like, I want to... Well, how do you feel about I'm the just, date? I'm just going to say this about you. You, you. you might want to assess your decision-making paradigm at some point in your life. <laughs> I probably will have to. There will probably be a point right on the choice. Yeah. Are you like? Are you vigilant about the 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 date stamped on, a, on any food that's in the fridge? Oh yes. I mean, I, I yeah. normally throw it out like a week before it goes bad. <laughs> I'm I'm good. You know, I'm confident up until that day, unless it's like lunch meat that's gotten a little slimy. Um, I think it's the way you know. I think it's the way I was raised because my parents have like they have bottles of dressing that are literally six, seven, eight months, sometimes a couple years past the expiration date. And they're like, yeah, it's not mold in it, so it's fine. <laughs> I'm like, you know, even that's where I tend to draw the line. I'm like, if it's a dairy based product and it's been in there for like years, I think I'm good. I think you can keep that. Here would be my retort to your parents: read the label. Look at how many chemicals are in the, that food, and then decide <laughs> right. how long you want those chemicals interacting with each other and breaking down into new chemicals, <laughs> and then putting that in your body. There you go. That's a good argument. I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> All right, so Andrew uh, has written us as well. Andrew's question is this. Given that the NCAA rules clearly state that a jersey not tucked into the pants is illegal equipment, besides conjecture, do you guys know how 
has Ezekiel Elliott gotten away with tucking his jersey under his shoulder pads and giving the uh, abdominal look there? Because it's cool. Yeah, I mean, that's, that would be my only, uh, I mean, tradition, because Eddie and Joey Galloway did it, I guess. We've got kind of a well, he wants to know how he's that. gotten away with it. He, wa- he wants to know how he's gotten away with it. And I, and I know for a fact that there's been at least two games where they've made him uh, pull it down and tuck it into his pants. Yeah, I mean, I've, it's just probably just up to the discretion of the referee, honestly. I mean, yeah. If they catch it then and make him do it, then, you know, I mean, I, I don't think that's like a penalty effect. But if they catch him and make him do it, that's fine. If, like, you know, once once he kind of gets going in the game. I, I, it's not the NFL. I don't think that unless it's something blatant, you know, like a, like a three-foot towel hanging out of your belt, I don't think officials really <laughs> police, you know. Because, I mean, honestly, they don't have to. I mean, these – the, the contracts that these schools have with their apparel companies like Nike and Adidas and Under Armour dictate what you wear, how you wear it more than anything else. Coaches mm, get right. paid on how you wear your uniform. I mean, I know when, when we first signed with Nike in my sophomore year, you know, Coach Cooper and the coaches were vigilant about you don't spat your shoes, you don't do this, you don't do that, and this is how things are worn because they were getting paid. They're the ones getting paid by Nike. And so they want to be good stewards of that investment. So I think that, that college referees just aren't on the lookout for those things. And that's probably how he's gotten away with it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. My take is that, you know, it's just like any other rule. They they either can enforce it or choose to ignore it. And um, when you're playing Wisconsin, they ignore holding. And when you're playing Ohio State, they sometimes ignore the fact that they <laughs> that shirt isn't tucked into the pants. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> so that's it for this week's uh, Ask Us Anything. And uh, you can do that again every week. Just uh, send us an email, dubcast at 11warriors.com, or send us a Twitter tweet to at 11dubcast. Awesome. Well, that I think that wraps it up for Finkus on Football. Um, I really appreciate you coming on and doing all this with us. Um, My pleasure. We kept guys. you a little longer than normal, but yeah. yeah, it's 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 good to have you on. It's going to be interesting to see how uh, the next couple of days shake out. This is going to be a crazy one, I think. So we look forward to having you on next week and kind of breaking this sucker down. Sounds good, guys. We'll talk soon. All right, joining us tonight is senior columnist from FoxSports.com. Uh, that would be Stuart Mandel. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Uh, well, we really, really are excited. Like, obviously, we've kind of reached DEFCON uh, 1 at this point because we're getting into this this huge game here. Uh, we've got people down in New Orleans. Everybody's going crazy. And we're really glad that we can have you on to kind of help us maybe calm ourselves down a little bit because we need information and not just pure adrenaline. So the first thing that I want to ask you, I guess, is – how? What is the attitude of maybe Ohio State and Alabama right now? Are the teams as geeked up as the fans are, or are they pretty? Are they playing it kind of cool? Yeah. So we had media day today, and my sense uh, from from being around the teams is that they and, and this is not uncommon in these bowl game settings. They just really want the game to be here already. They've been practicing for three weeks. They've been in New Orleans, you know, already for several days. Um, you know, I don't think that they're quite at that point that you're talking about, in fact, at the time we um, talked to Ohio State in the morning, uh, Ohio State is about to go into what is basically its hardest practice of the week, its last real, you know, uh, real hard practice before the game, because the last day will just be a walkthrough. So I think those guys are just getting ready for that. Um, Alabama, the vibe around Alabama this week has been kind of been here, done that. I mean, they're in one of these games almost every year. They were in the Sugar Bowl last year. 
uh, that's just kind of the way they carry themselves. It's a very business-like, um, there's always that kind of a business-like feel to Alabama football. Stuart, um, inside the Ohio State community, we get a little bit insulated in terms of uh, how we think people outside are perceiving the team. But can you give us like a national writer's perspective on how uh, people are sort of uh, viewing this matchup? Do they think it's going to be a, a you know, nine-point difference like Vegas says? Do they think it's going to be a close game, uh, that kind of thing? Yeah, I get the sense that most people consider Alabama you know, that nine-point favorite. But it's hard to separate at this point whether that um, because Ohio State played in what's compared to be a weak Big Ten and, and they don't feel as, as high on them as they do on an Alabama team that plays regularly in these national championship type games. Or, I mean, how different would this look if, if J.P. Barrett was playing? I mean, there's definitely still skepticism about Cardell Jones. Obviously, he looks very good in the Wisconsin game, but it's one game and it's just kind of a, you know, it's just hard for a lot of us to imagine the guy who is the third-string quarterback leading them to victory over Alabama. But personally, I mean, I can't speak for the whole country. I mean, just personally, you know, I know that this is not Jim Trestle-era Ohio State, uh, that Urban Meyer has built this roster much differently. You know, all the Alabama coaches and players here have all said, you know, universally, these guys are just as fast as us, they're just as talented as us. And I think the educated college football fan gets that. But, of course, a lot of people uh, stereotypes die hard, and they're still stuck back in, um, you know, the days of uh, Big Ten flow, SEC is fast, and Ohio State embodies the Big Ten and Alabama embodies the SEC. Do you think that, you know, a lot of people are claiming that the previous matchups between Urban Meyer and, and Nick Saban might have some kind of influence outcome of this game. Do you think those have any real relevance to this, or is that just kind of like in the past and not really, you know, going to factor into it at all? I don't look at it as um, that those matchups would, would have any indication. I mean, those were, uh, I mean, Urban Meyer was coaching at a different school and they're completely different players. But um, I do find it interesting. I, it's a fascinating chess match because they're both such good coaches, and in particular, they're good postseason coaches, you know. Um, Nick Saban, at this point, I mean, he's won every BCS championship game he's played in. Uh, there's, you know, I remember coming off the Notre Dame game, you, there was just this feeling of, gosh, if you give this guy time to prepare, he's going to beat you, and he's going to dominate you usually. But Urban Meyer won two national championships himself, and and one thing stood about those out, uh, stood out about those games is the adjustments they made, is the, is the wrinkles they threw out there. Their offense came out against Ohio State in the 06 game with Chris Leak and did things we haven't seen them do all season. So I expect that to happen again in this game. I expect Ohio State to come out and do things you haven't seen, and then I expect Saban and, and Kirby Smart to adjust, and then for the offense to adjust back. It should be pretty fascinating. Stuart, it- what is your take on the game itself in terms of if X happens, Ohio State wins, but if Y happens, Alabama wins? What, can you fill in those blanks for us? Yeah, I think the single biggest if, – if Ohio State wins this game, I think it will be because of because they have a very good defensive line, obviously, uh, one of the best in the country. And while Alabama has a very good offensive line, it is not uh, – they've had offensive lines recently that were you know, three first-round picks, and they just bulldozed you and overpowered you. And that's just not the case this year. It's a different kind of offense. They've obviously been a very productive offense, uh, 
but it's been as much about Blake Sims and Amari Cooper as it has T.J. Alvin and, and Derrick Henry. And I think that's a matchup Ohio State can win. And, and you know, in college football, if you can – if your defensive front can dominate the game, then you can win the game. Um, that's the scenario I, where I would see Ohio State winning. The scenario where I see Alabama winning, as I said earlier, you know, there's there's a strong possibility that, that we're going to find out in this game that, that, that the Cardell Jones thing was a one-time thing, that everything just – I mean, you know, not he played great in that game, don't get me wrong, but everything when Ohio State played that night, they could do whatever they wanted to. It made for a very ideal position for a quarterback. I think it'll be much harder going in this game, and if, if he makes mistakes, if there's turnovers, if you give Alabama a short field, um, you know, that's where things could get ugly. So you were obviously there for media days today. Um, what was maybe some of the most entertaining stuff that you saw during today's, uh, you know, conference with the media? Most entertaining stuff. Um, <laughs> well, it's an interesting, both yesterday and today, the, the circus around Lane Kiffin. There's never been a, I can't imagine <laughs> any of these media days that there's ever been an offensive coordinator with so much attention. And, and I understand why, and I was part of it myself. Um, he's one of the more polarizing and fascinating figures in college football, and he hasn't talked to the media since August. So he, when he showed up today, uh, I didn't see him at first, but when he eventually showed up, it didn't take long for a crowd to develop around him. Um, like I said, Alabama, very, there's not a lot of big personalities on that team this year. They've had some in the past. Uh, in fact, uh, Amari Cooper, uh, you know, Heisman finalist, Blitnikoff winner, probably high round draft, high first round draft pick. Um, you know, they'd put him at like one of the featured tables because he's such a big star. And when I looked over, there was nobody there because he just doesn't <laughs> say anything. So eventually the media just kind of gave up on him. <laughs> you know what? There is a, there's a video of uh, Tyvis Powell on our website, and I highly recommend that you uh, watch it if you get the chance because that, that might – Whatever, you know, Amari Cooper, whatever deficiencies he might have for the media, I think Tyvis makes up for it in spades. So please, definitely check that out if you get the chance. It's, it's I will. great. Stuart, I want to, before we uh, let you go, I wanted to find out about New Orleans itself and how the fan bases, uh, how you're, you're finding the fan bases there um, in terms of the contingencies from Alabama and Ohio State. Uh, what are you seeing on the streets? Well, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but I spent so much time in press conferences and in my room writing, but I haven't seen any fans yet. <laughs> we did this podcast in a few hours, though. We look, I am planning to hit the town a little bit tonight. Now I have a much better idea at that point. I, I think it was a late arriving crowd a bit. You know, there's no reason for fans to get here four days before the game. Um, and, I, and they still weren't really here in, in large numbers last night, but it's now the 30th. So I would fully expect Bourbon Street to be full of Alabama and Ohio State fans tonight. Do you think players get super into that, or is that just something where they like, yeah, it's a day, you know, or they spend the night doing fun stuff, and then they're just down to business, or do they, or do they like spend every chance they get, like on the streets trying to do something? I I, I think um, you know that's it's, it's an interesting thing because you know Urban Meyer from the when he first got off the plane the other day, one of the first things he said is, "This isn't the Sugar Bowl, to us. this is a playoff game." Alabama much right. the same thing; they were in a regular Sugar Bowl last year, you know. I don't think they honestly care about that stuff. I'm sure that, you know, maybe hit hit it one night, check out the scene if you haven't been there before. I mean, Alabama was just here last year, Ohio State. Those players, a lot of them 
I imagine most of them haven't. But I, I know, I think that because it's a playoff game, because it's such a big game, um, I mean, first of all, I've had players fly out tell me that if they would rather have just practiced back home on campus and flown in a couple of days before the game. Um, you know, it's actually kind of a sad, probably unavoidable consequence of this new system is that uh, they tried so hard to shoehorn the bowls into the playoff system, but they're two different things. You know, a bowl game, uh, just a regular bowl game, is just a fun reward for the players, and you play a game at the end. But this is the playoffs, and they're trying to get to the next round. And, uh, you know, maybe you know, I think they enjoy relaxing at the end of the night and eating some of the good food and whatnot, but I don't think they're here to party. I really don't. So one of the last things that I wanted to ask you about, I mean, and this kind of the totality of the game in general and, and, and what's going on, but how do you see it playing out? I mean, this is something that I've been trying to rack my brain and get a feel for it for the past, like, I don't know, three or four weeks, like ever since it was announced. And I still, like, I'm completely undecided on what it's going to look like. I know Ohio State's like huge underdogs, but, you know, as a, a homer, obviously I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. But I still – I have not made up my mind completely on this thing. How are you feeling it's going to end up uh, playing out? Well, first of all, it's very hard to predict how bowl games will play out because there's such a long way off, and it's right. almost like a new season. And, you know, and it's funny because we spend more time analyzing and breaking down bowl games than regular games, and they never go the way you think, um, especially those DCS championship games. I'm hopeful that because these games are being played a week earlier – and those went like, you know, these past uh, eight years of BCS championship games, that they'll be a little cleaner played and you won't see the sloppiness. My prediction that I'm about to put out on the site is that I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think the talent gap is what some people think it is. I think it's pretty similar. Um, and I think it could be a close game early on. Um, but I don't see, uh, I, I don't see Ohio State defense holding down Alabama for the whole game. I think, um, that offense has gotten better and better. Nobody's been able to stop Amari Cooper since uh, that Arkansas game way back when. Um, and, and I think the running game's gotten better too. So I think they can come out and slow him down for a while and maybe get Carl Jones into a rhythm. I just think eventually uh, Alabama, whether it's, you know, I, I would say a lower scoring version of what we saw in the Iron Bowl where hang around for a little bit, but whether you get in the third quarter, early fourth quarter, that's when I would start to think Alabama pulls away. You know what's interesting, though? Like, I think if this were a team with Braxton Miller as the quarterback, that, that prediction might make me a little upset. But given that we're on our third-string quarterback, I would I would honestly – like, I'm not going to take it. I want them to win, but I think I would accept that as an Ohio State fan. I don't think too many people would predict that they would even be in this position uh, playing their third-string quarterback at this point in the year. So I think that's that's not a bad prediction at all. I think we'll take that. Um, yeah, and I, and I think that if uh, – you know, and I think if, if the reason they lose the game is because the quarterback struggled, there, I would assume there will be some understanding of that nationally. Now, if Alabama goes out, and puts up 670 yards or something like that, then you're going to hear <laughs> right. the same old uh, Big Ten can't hang, they're too slow, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, no, I and, and I hopefully that is not what we will uh, will end up having to digest for the next, you know, year. <laughs> um, so, uh, senior columnist, FoxSports.com, Stuart Mandel, thank you so much for joining us, and, uh, you know, have fun in New Orleans. I can't believe there were no Harbaugh questions, but but that's. Fine. I know, I know. It's that's that's the thing. Like, I we got to spend. We will have plenty of time to dissect that whole thing 
uh, going forward. But actually, real quick, if you want to get, uh, tell you or tell us your hot take on that. My hot take on it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not, yeah, only it's not entirely original, but I think it's great for the Big Ten. It's great for the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry. Um, this is a conference that has struggled, obviously, um, by any measure. And while there's many reasons for that, uninspired coaching hires has been a big part of that. And now, you know, first Penn State goes out and gets James Franklin. Now, Michigan goes out and gets a guy who you would say, who are the biggest names in college coaching today? I would say Nick Saban, Erwin Meyer, and Jim Harbaugh. And now two of those three are, are arch rivals in the same division. And then put Mark uh, D'Antoni on the Riley. Well, that's a real That's a real good sign for the Big Ten. Yeah. Uh, it's not, <laughs> yeah, it's it's not Mike Riley, Mike Riley or Paul not be on that list. <laughs> What's that? It's not Mike Riley or Paul Christ? Uh, I like both those guys a lot, but, uh, <laughs> gosh, it's a little one-sided right now, right east to west. Yeah, well, hopefully uh, that will continue in, in Ohio State's favor. But uh, thanks again for coming on, and, and we really appreciate you talking with us. All right, thanks for having me. All right, joining us tonight is Andy Staples. He covers college football for Sports Illustrated and SportsIllustrated.com. How are you doing tonight, man? Doing good. How's, uh, how's life in Cali? It's raining. People lose their minds out here when it rains. I live in Florida. It rains every day. Somehow we manage, but... Yeah, that, that that sounds like that sounds like absolute hell. I'm really sorry that you have to put up with that. Oh, um, yeah, one one whole rainy day out of out of the six are going to be here. It's going to be awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so this is so this is the second half of of all the stuff we've been talking about. We've got the Sugar Bowl, and obviously, you know, with Ohio State fans, that's all we've really been thinking about. But it's it's easy to forget that this is a playoff. This is something that you know comprises two halves. Well, yeah, so, we've got to know about the team Ohio State's going to play next. Exactly, weeks, right? absolutely, yes. And then B. See, I'm, <laughs> um, see, I'm, I'm. There's one member that asked me not just handing it to Alabama. Okay, well, and I appreciate that. And actually, that's something we're going to talk about here in a second. But the the first thing that I want to know: How are things going out in uh, the Rose Bowl? How is uh, Florida and Florida State and Oregon? How are they? How are they dealing with the whole situation of this this playoff? Are they are they hyped? Are they ready to go? Or is this more of a low key G kind of thing? They're pretty low key because remember, Florida State played for the BCS title last year. Oregon's been good, you know, since these guys have been at Oregon, so they they're used to this environment. There's nothing that's really surprising to any of them. Uh, so I don't think they're I don't think they're too worried about the whole playoff part of it. I think this is a case where the two teams that end up playing for the national title. The Florida State guys all played in the BCS title game last year. I mean, most of them did. And they think it's hilarious that everybody's saying, well, they never put anybody out. They've only won close games. They're not going to be prepared for this. When last year we were all saying, well, all they've done is roll people out. How will they handle a close game? And then they wind up playing a close game and winning. Right. So and, and a lot of people have been making comparisons between Ohio State and Florida State, uh, Ohio State of 2002 rather, and, and this year's Florida State. I don't know that I really enjoy that comparison. No, but I, I Alabama this year is not nearly as good. Alabama this year is not nearly as good as Miami was in 2002. That's yeah, it's not the same comparison at all. It, those teams are much closer uh, than look. The top seven or eight teams in the country were not that different this year, and. If, if somebody wants to tell you that one is so much better than the others, there's no proof of that anywhere. I think there's more pressure on Oregon because they are the favorite. They're the ones people expect to win. For Florida State, a lot of these guys already have national championship rings. I mean, they, they've done it already. So uh, I would think that 
that they come in there really with nothing to lose. And, you know, people are writing Florida State off. And I, I just think that's kind of silly. First of all, this is as healthy as Florida State's been all season. This is the best collection of athletes Oregon has seen all year. They didn't play USC, so they didn't get a look at this type of athlete really in the Pac-12. Uh, Pac-12 teams have some, some guys like this, but not a top-to-bottom roster like Florida State has. They're just... There aren't many rosters like that in the country. You know, Ohio State might be one of them. Alabama might be one of them. Uh, LSU. Uh, there just aren't many where you have that many good athletes. And that's something that, that can be a shock to the system. Although on the flip side, for Florida State defending Oregon's offense, you can't simulate Marcus Mariota until you, you've seen him. And, and he's a bit of a shock to the system at first. And you kind of have to realize, oh, my goodness, he is that fast. And he can throw that well and move around in the pocket that well. And then you have to adjust to that. So I, I'm very excited to watch this game because I want to see Mariota play against that athletic defense because he's going to face defenses with that kind of athleticism and more on Sunday. So how he going to deal with that? Right. So, I mean, how do you think the game kind of ends up working out? I think if, if Florida State does not screw up, if they don't, if, you know, if James Winston doesn't throw those couple interceptions he's been throwing early the last few games, uh, and they're in the game going into the second half, I think Florida State can win the game. I, I think they actually have a pretty good shot of winning the game in that situation. The, the thing they got to worry about, they cannot play, say, the, look, for example, the way they played against Florida where Winston threw a couple early picks. Florida didn't have the offense to capitalize on that. Oregon does. Oregon will pile up a bunch of points on you in a hurry, and Oregon's good enough that they'll make, it, they'll make that lead big enough that Florida State can't come back if they try to force some stuff in there and throw some picks, fumble the ball a little bit. But if Florida State is, is within a score in the third quarter, I like Florida State there. Well, sure. They've uh, they've shown that the ability to come back from from a number of uh, deficits. So, uh, you know, I kind of am thinking the same way. Let's flip the the script over to the other semifinal. You've mentioned before you're not, you're not going to bury the Buckeyes like a lot of other national guys. How do you see the Sugar Bowl playing out? I think it's going to be a track meet. I think I think both teams can can score. I, I think both teams are very hard to defend just because they have weapons pretty much everywhere uh, offensively. Uh, and I do think there are going to be some turnovers because I think both teams are, are good at getting after the quarterback and good at forcing mistakes. I, I'm interested to see how Alabama handles playing Cardell Jones without a lot of tape on him. I, I think, you know, he's probably not, he's not the runner J.T. Barrett or Braxton Miller is, so they're probably going to feel like we don't have to worry as much about the quarterback running, so let's try to, to pressure him, force him into throwing picks. If he can handle that, and especially if, if Ohio State can get that running game going with Ezekiel Elliott and give him some, give Jones some room to breathe, I think they'll be all right and they'll be able to score. I don't know that they'll be able to outscore Alabama, but I think it scored a similar pace. And then it comes down to can you force a turnover or two? And I think that defensive line of Ohio State's, if they can contain Blake Sims, because one thing Blake Sims does that that. Alabama quarterbacks of recent vintage have not been able to do is, is scramble. When a play breaks down, he can make things happen. For example, against Auburn, uh, I'm sorry, against Mississippi State, he had a he had a couple of uh, 
Oh no no, I'm I'm sorry, I'm blanking. Is Auburn? He had a couple of big scrambles that that helped him a lot. No no no, it was, it was Mississippi State. It was Mississippi State. He had. See, I'll get it eventually. This is pre-recorded. <laughs> but feel free to leave in all my hemming and hawing and, and lack of memory. No, it was Mississippi State. He had had a couple big scrambles uh, that you know you wouldn't have seen AJ McCarron or Greg McElroy make those, and that that really opens things up because it's one more thing that the defense has to worry about because you've already got to worry about that line blocking for TJ Yeldon or Derrick Henry. You've got to worry about O.J. Howard, who's kind of a flex tight end who can stretch the field. You've got to worry about Amari Cooper, who if you have single coverage on him, I mean, God bless that poor DB. Because <laughs> it's going to be a problem. I mean, when, when they were playing Auburn and it became apparent that Auburn was going to attempt to cover Amari Cooper with a safety. That's when Lane Kiffin put his arms up. And the ball right. barely snapped at that point. So, I mean, you just – and then the problem is Alabama has so many weapons that they can get you into those kind of mismatches. You'd think, oh, well, it's obvious they're going to throw to Amari Cooper all the time, so let's just make sure Duran Grant or Eli Apple uh, is, is locked on, has some help, and we don't end up with him on a safety. Well, it's not that easy because they do move them around a little bit. They do have so many other things you have to worry about that you can't always make sure you've got your best guy on him. Yeah, I think one of the greatest disappointments for for me for the 2014 college football season is that Lane Kiffin was not an abject failure at Alabama, and that's no, that's really disappointing. He's pretty darn good. Yeah, he he's been yeah. pretty darn good, and uh, you know it's funny. The off season was spent with them. Talk, there's a talk about the the hurry up offense was dangerous and that sort of thing. All they've done is speed up, right. and they're pretty good sped up because they've got better athletes than most teams they play. But I do think I, I'm really fascinated by the Joey Bosa Cam Robinson matchup. You, may, you could be watching the the number one pick in 2016 versus the number one pick in 2017 there because that's a, a that is a great fun one on one that you're going to see quite a bit. Uh, Bosa, just a beast. But Cam Robinson came in from day one starting at left tackle as a true freshman and has been grading out very well, uh, even as a true freshman playing in some very good defensive fronts. So I'm very excited to see that. I'm excited to see how, how Alabama's interior line handles Ohio State's interior line. I mean, Bennett is another – he's just an absolute load. You've got a double team in every play. So I think I think it's a pretty good matchup. I, I just don't see the lopsidedness that I guess everybody else sees. Yeah, it's, I, it's, I think it's going to be a really, really fun game to watch. Um, you know, and again, we talked about this a little earlier. Ohio State is on their third – you know, quarterback. And if you had told me at the beginning of the season, you know, Braxton Miller, Braxton Miller is going to be out and his backup's going to be out before the Big Ten Championship game and you're still going to get into the playoffs, I'd take that. I'd be cool with that. Yeah, I think um, so. I, I think so. I think Ohio State's playing with house money right now. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to real, I'm not going to cry real hard about it depending on what the outcome is. No, and, and I think Urban Meyer said it best right after the, the Big Ten Championship game. It, it kind of feels like they're one year early. Right. But I would argue that this one year early thing, you take your chances when you can get them because yeah. I, I remember um, Tennessee in 1998. They were one year early. That that was not the team that was supposed to be great. The 99 Tennessee team was supposed to be awesome, and the 98 Tennessee team. Well, you know what? They just happened to go through the whole season and 
undefeated and win the national title. And then in 99, when they were supposed to be great, they messed around and lost some games. So Ohio State needs to realize these things are not a given. You may have a great roster coming back. You may have, at this point, three good quarterbacks coming back. Uh, <laughs> but nothing, nothing is promised, and this is the opportunity right now, so take advantage. All right, so last question that we have for you real quick. we got a lot of people down in New Orleans right yep. now, a lot, of, a lot of Northerners whose palates are not as refined as yours <laughs> or many other people uh, in the South. And we need to know, where should we go to eat? Well, what, what are some barbecue places, your specialty, that, that we should go to, yeah. people within earshot of this, where they should be going Well, let's New Orleans? Let's remember, New Orleans is not the South. It's in Louisiana, and Louisiana is Louisiana. <laughs> Fair enough. Very different. Uh, and barbecue is not their specialty. And while I love barbecue, I eat, I'm a win in Rome person. You know, if you're in California, go find good sushi. If you're in, in Texas, you find good barbecue. If you're in uh, Minnesota, you find good loot fisk, even though there's probably no such thing as good loot fisk. But no, so, so I will give you one barbecue place in, in New Orleans that is just really good. Um, it's called the joint and it's in the bywater area of New Orleans. So you would, uh, you, most everybody will be staying in the quarter. You would go past the Marini, which is the, the good time party spot for the locals. You go past that into the Bywater, and um, the joint is there. You can tell it by the plume of smoke coming out of the building. Uh, they have great ribs, um, just a very good barbecue spot. But right near there is a, a place called Bacchanal, which is a um, it's more you know kind of traditional New Orleans food. There's you know, they'll have redfish or that sort of thing. Um, you go in, they've got like kind of a convenience store looking thing at the, at the front of it, and you buy your bottle of wine, and then you walk around to the back, and it's basically somebody's backyard. And uh, you sit down, you, you know, you find a plastic table and sit down, you crack your bottle of wine, they've got a little little window that you go to to order. And um, I'm trying to think that, that when I was there, they had, a, they had like this uh, sliced steak with strawberries and duck fat. It was wow. awesome. Um, they had uh, pork chop, these big, thick, center-cut pork chops. They had the the whole Branzino. It was it was very good. Um, closer, you know, closer to the quarter, uh, go to Sylvain and get the the. They call it fried pork shoulder, and what it is is um, it's roast pork shredded, rolled into a ball, and pan-fried, and they put that <laughs> over grits. That sounds amazing. It is awesome. Uh, the the chef Alex is uh he's from Dothan Alabama gets the grit trucks his grits in from Alabama he's a huge Alabama fan but happy to serve LSU or Ohio State fans anyway um, and uh, let's see where else well Giacomo's is uh, maybe one of my favorite restaurants in America and everything it's one of those places you know most places you look and you see two or three things on the menu that intrigue you at Giacomo's every single thing looks good from the alligator and sausage cheesecake which is not actually cheesecake but just looks like it um <laughs> to the penne rabbit uh everything on the menu is great um the other the other place i would suggest uh koshan is is a pretty famous restaurant donald link is the chef uh it is is great just sort of southern new orleans type food it's very expensive very hard to get into Next door is Koshan Butcher, and it's, it's their butcher shop plus their uh, kind of sandwich deli place, and it has one of my favorite 
sandwiches in America, and that's the pork belly with cucumber and mint. And oh, it's it's awesome. Uh, get the pancetta mac and cheese to go with it, and get a peanut butter and jelly cookie on your way out the door. Wow, <laughs> that sounds beautiful. And and you know what? I just gained eight pounds. Heaven, heaven really is a buffet. I agree. It is. It's a, and, and New Orleans is. I mean, you can't go to that town without gaining fifteen pounds. You pretty much gain it when you when you get off the plane. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry to your waistlines, Buckeyes fans, but you know, you, you can do some cardio when you get back home. <laughs> All right. Well, Andy Staples, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the analysis and the restaurant tips. Um, and uh, have fun out in Cali. All right. I'll see you guys. All right, and that is this week's 11 Dubcast. Thanks again to Stuart Mandel, Andy Staples, Matt Finkus, Michael Citro. Thanks, thanks to all of you guys. I just, I just, you're just, you're just my best friends. I just, I'm just so glad that you came on and talked with us. Um, Our cast grows every week, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so, Michael, I have a question for you. We're, we're heading into this game. It's serious time. Okay, the stakes are high. TM De La Soul. Um, so the stakes are high. It's it's a big deal. Let's say you're Tom Herman. I mean, you may be. I don't know. Okay, I'm but, but imagine, put yourself in Tom Herman's shoes. What is the first call? What is your first play call from scrimmage in the in the Sugar Bowl? What was the first thing that you call? What is the very first play? That's a great question, actually. Um, because there's there's the school of thought that says, you know. Get your quarterback comfortable right away. He's only a second start and that kind of thing. Or there's another school of thought saying, go with your bread and butter, give it to Zeke. Um, I think play action pass, very first down, the very first play. Excellent. And, and I think it would, it kind of would depend on where I am on the field, obviously. But, but if you're at least at the 25, I'm going to take a shot with the very first play and say, let's see how they're going to defend Devin Smith. And let's fake yeah. it to Zeke. And as they try to attack Zeke, we get Devin Smith out there one-on-one and see if we can put this game away with an early Devin Smith touchdown. Because as you know, yeah. we are undefeated when Devin Smith scores a touchdown. That is true, and that, that is held true for a very long time now. So I, I would be happy to see that. Uh, I would also throw to Devin Smith, but instead what I would do is pitch to Jalen Marshall and have Jalen just huck it downfield as far as he could. Because honestly, like I want let me put it this way. You know, when they say when you go to prison, the first thing you need to do is, like, start a fight or do something crazy. I feel like that's what Ohio, that's the precedent Ohio State needs to set from the first second of the game. Like, do something just completely insane and just see how Alabama deals with it. Because I feel like Kirby Smart's like, he's like the Felix Unger of, you know, defensive coordinators. Like, everything's got to be just so. And if, if Tom Herman can just introduce this element of chaos into the game early, I think that would be super sweet. So, so like a fumble ruski or something. Not a fumble. Well, just like, you know, like, <laughs> I don't know. Hand it off to him. Look like it's an end around, you know, or a sweep or something. And then just, like, let Jalen Marshall just chuck it. I mean, the dude, you know, he's got some talent as a quarterback. I mean, you know, Middletown High School quarterback. So, that's what I say. Keep everybody on their toes. Let's see how it goes. That's <laughs> that is a quote from Robert Frost. Um, that rhymes. So anyway, uh, that is that is this week's dubcast. Again, thanks to everybody for coming on, and, and thank you for listening. And holy crap, it's it's about here. Just you know, batting down the hatches, man, because this is this is for real this time. So uh, until next week, when we'll almost assuredly be celebrating a, a glorious Ohio State win. Uh, I'm John Ginner. I'm Michael Citro. 
and we'll see you guys next week. Peace.